I have a remembrance of this story, but I don't know your side of it. Do you remember how we first met? Yeah. So I remember I was looking through creators, uh, just looking at new work. And I don't think it was Instagram back then. It may have been Vimeo. Um, it seems like all the Vimeo kids moved over to Instagram now. Uh, but, but I remember I was looking, I don't know why I was looking in like, uh, in that area in particular, but I was looking in kind of new England. I think it was because I, I didn't really work with many people up there and I'd seen, uh, some really randomly good work. And, uh, so I was just poking around, uh, different people. And then I stumbled on your site or a Vimeo page or a project that you did. And, uh, I just remember going like, oh my goodness, this is just really gorgeous. Like you have a, a style that's like very, um, like emotional, but not pretentious. And I think that's the hard balance uh, when someone's kind of starting up is that it's really easy when you're kind of a young filmmaker to be like really pretentious uh, without even realizing it. It's like we don't have to solve the entirety of the world's problems with <laughs> sad, sad, you know, dark videos. Uh, so, so essentially, I remember seeing like something that was really... Um, kind of poppy, but like emotional, but like friendly and approachable. And then that was my catalyst just of saying like, hey, this is really good. Uh, not many people kind of in, in uh, you know, at least my thought was not many people in like your age range is like seeing the forest from the trees here. It's a lot like a lot of, a lot in this industry. It's just like kind of directors kind of getting so moody and facing each other, like mm -hmm. trying to like trying to like kind of one up each other in like sadness and darkness and um, <laughs> that's not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and we've been, my, my teams have been a part of a lot of those sad and dark things. Not to say that sad and dark doesn't need to exist. It's just that it's a really easy kind of trope to fall into as a director. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you, you sent me an email. Um, I think is what I remember is I just mm -hmm. remember randomly checking my email one day and having this email from this guy I had never heard of, honestly. And it was like, Hey, something, I don't remember what you said. I went to see if I could find the email, but my Gmail doesn't go back that far. Cause this was a long time ago. This must've been was. like eight years yeah. ago or something. Um, yeah. Heck I'm, I could probably find it here. Oh really? My, I, I switched, I switched from like Mac mail to Gmail at some point, And so mine only goes back to like 2018, but, oh, uh, mine's been all the way. You, uh, yeah, you sent me this really kind email and I was, yeah, just in the first few years of figuring stuff out and like making, making little local stuff. And I was like, who is this guy? And I clicked on the de facto link and I, I don't remember what you guys had just done. I want to say that you had done something for like oblivion or something, or there was some like video game work that I was like, oh, this is sick. Yeah, Skyrim probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it was like Skyrim and Nat Geo and I was like, damn, this dude is super legit. But, uh, I, I just, I so appreciate that. And it's something that actually has been a, a big thing for me. It's funny. Like, I feel like it feels weird to say like, not, not that I'm even where you were then necessarily, but like, I try to take the time, uh, every once in a while, like if I see anyone on Instagram yeah. or Vimeo or YouTube doing anything that you're like, Oh, you've got a piece of something to just like take the time to write them a DM or send them an email or whatever else. Because it's like that stuff was such a big deal to me starting out. And I feel like kept right. me going and it's like fun to pay that forward to other people now, especially early in the career, uh, as things kind of continue to grow and, uh, with my podcast and like with the company now it's like, we get plenty of praise, but early on, you just don't get it. And it's hard. Right. I found the email though. Oh yeah. Says, Hi Evan. Yeah. It was uh, December 6, 2013. I stumbled onto your site from a mutual friend on Twitter. 
Really beautiful work. I love your demo and the Haiti piece is fantastic. Just wanted to reach out and give you some virtual encouragement. Keep up the great work. And then, um, and then, yeah, you were like on a shoot schedule and you're like, thanks so much. This is so nice. And checked out your, uh, your stuff. And I was like, no worries. You know, hopefully we can bump into each other. And yeah, I mean, all it was was just, I found something. I was like, oh, this is inspiring. Uh, and it was through, um, uh, Andy Baker, I guess. Oh, like, yeah, I guess you were connected or maybe wrote something to him and I saw that and I started checking out your work. So that's actually what it was. It wasn't me just like poking around. I remember seeing maybe you commented on something on Twitter and then I just started to go on a deep dive on your site. Yeah. That's yeah. how old we are is that uh, when I don't know about when you were starting out, but when I was starting out, it was like the film community was all on like Twitter, like Instagram wasn't really the yeah. thing. Facebook wasn't the thing. When I was there, it was like that whole world of like Masters in Motion, Andy Baker, all those people mm -hmm. were on Twitter. And then at some point it all sort of slid over. And whenever I say that right, now, I yeah. feel old, but I guess I don't know. That's what it is. And it'll just keep sliding. Yeah. And like for a while, everything was discovered on Vimeo, I guess it still kind of is occasionally, but it seems like now, like most things are discovered on Instagram. Yeah. So yeah, I, definitely. The, the phases yeah. are all sliding, which is where I've tried to get better about not resisting that. Like I definitely had a phase here recently where I was like, Duh, old man yells at cloud about TikTok and stuff, but there's actually yeah. a lot of really cool stuff on there. Um, so I don't know. I've tried to take the good and leave the bad with it, but, uh, so I wanted to say that yeah. was encouraging to me and I appreciate it. And, and I hope people do more stuff like that. But so we had our interactions over the years. We ended up meeting. I don't know where we initially met in person. Maybe it was like masters in motion. Probably. We did some podcasts together. You, uh, -huh. uh sound design some stuff that I was working on. And then we sort of didn't talk for a while, mostly because of the whole me walking away from the industry for like two or three years thing. And then in <laughs> November, 2020, I got another email from you out of the blue. Um, that was basically about like fitness stuff and yep. how do you get and keep yourself in that mental headspace? And I didn't reply to that email for like five months cause I didn't know what to say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and so I was honestly partially curious and I want to talk about like creativity and all that fun stuff, but, uh, what's your health and fitness journey, man? Cause I, I've seen like you've done a lot, but I have not been privy to much any of it. And so it's, I would just love to hear a bit about that. Yeah. There's some parallels here, um, between both of us. And I think that I was seeing you doing something about your mental health, uh, somehow in there. And I knew that at the time I was also like really struggling with this overwhelming burden of, of just social inundation and just, you know, I don't know, just pretending and I'm trying to build my career as well. So I feel like that's where I have to do it. Uh, and so I remember like we spent some time, uh, you know, kind of together in the, in this world. And then you kind of disappeared for a while. And that happens from time to time with people, because I understand how insane the industry can be, uh, especially if you kind of get in these like, um, circles that really just like start to spiral into bad stuff. Um, and so I saw that and, um, and, you know, gave space and this, like, this happens from time to time and being in the industry, I, I know that I'm like, um, uh, I understand that like my presence can also kind of like bring out those fears with people when they're trying to kind of like step away and then shoot, pick and choose what comes back into their life. And so I saw that at first and, um, I was always just kind of curious, but kind of giving your, your space. And then I remember like one day, I guess after months and months, you kind of pop, pop back up and you're like ripped or <laughs> getting there. And I was like, Whoa. Okay. So something, and I know was just like, I'm curious here what the heck happened. So I didn't like immediately reach out. I just followed you for a while. And 
um, massive respect uh, just because I'd kind of done a lot of starts and stops and starts and stops. And so I think that's what it was. Uh, I remember going like, was it something like, what was the catalyst? Like, what's the thing that you just keep telling yourself that, that kind of put you in that, in that situation? And uh, I think that's what I, what I asked and um, didn't hear back. I didn't, you know, it was like, no big deal. Um, So, uh, so yeah, some time went by and it just kept, I, I thought about it more and I had an instinct that was probably something very hard to explain. Uh, because if there's something that requires like a lot of my time in an email, it usually will just kind of like bury, bury, bury until I'll just like do like a one line reply or two line reply or just go, hey, let's hop on a call or something. Um, and so it just kept kind of, uh, you know, I kept thinking about that. Like, you know, obviously like, you know, Evan went through a thing and somehow through this thing, fitness was a was a solve. And I knew just being in this industry that there must have been a mental health uh, situation with that, too, because of what I've I also experienced. And so um, it really like during that time, as far as like my journey is I started to re- I started to like um, get rid of everything in my life that caused these negative feelings. Um, I read the four hour work week. Uh, there was this one great tra- chapter on just stop reading the news. Like that's what stuck with me more than anything. It's just like stop reading the news uh, because someone will tell you if something big happens in the world. And I also came out of the news. Like my first, uh, the first five, six years of my career was in news. And I, and I could, I recognize that this is a business that is designed to get as many eyeballs to see advertisements as possible. It is not about like an integrity or anything. It's about how do we like make something so splashy and so like irresistible to click on or to watch to get um, someone's eyes. Uh, you know, if, if someone does a really salacious story, they become you know, kind of a superstar in that. And so the business, I don't think most people get that, um, but the business of that is, uh, I don't know, it was kind of appalling and it just was taking a toll because it was just like bad news, bad news, bad news. So I eliminated all of all of the news. Uh, I started to eliminate social, at least all the way down to what I felt was like bare minimum. Um, on Facebook, I did, uh, I wanted to keep it to where I could check in with people, but I unfollowed, I spent a couple hours unfollowing every person, including <laughs> my wife and family, uh, because I, because I knew that there was just like a a constant, like grab my phone and look at it. Like it was just automatic in my brain. And it took me like six months of opening Facebook with nothing on my newsfeed for me to finally start to put it down. And it's, and it's really, um, it, it really took that long just to stop that habit. Um, kind of same thing with Twitter. I kind of did a big unfollow. It's just like, it's here if I need to ask a question, uh, if to serve the purposes of what I need kind of a large audience for. But I, I really started thinking, I'm now crystallizing what, I, what I'm doing in my career. I'm crystallizing like what my lane is, and I need to focus on that. I don't need to get worked up and start talking about some random political issue. Like That is not me. That's not going to benefit my team, me, the family, anything. So I just started removing a lot of that stuff. Um, I ended up making my Instagram, my, my personal Instagram, completely private, booted a bunch of people who are not like close families. And I really just made that a place where I just post things that make me happy, uh, mainly pictures of my family and my kids and experiences. But that's locked down as well. So kind of on all three main social fronts, I locked it down for myself. I kept it open, but I, but I made the apps not work for me as they're intended to be. So that was like my first step, you know, news, social, I kind of locked it all down. So kind of a different way of doing probably what you did. Now with that, I noticed that um, what I thought would make kind of my life better, and I think it did temporarily, just being ignorant to a lot of things made me 
happy. Like I liked just not knowing everyone's business. I also liked not being in the, like knowing the news when someone's like, can you believe what so-and-so did? I'm like, I don't know anything about that. Uh, and I love it. Um, but that, that in and of itself started to take a toll too. And so I started to find these same mental health issues starting to build again. And so that's when I was like, okay, it's not just the, the, the information. It's not just that there's something else in me. And so the thing that really clicked with the fitness aspect was I stopped thinking about physical exertion as something that makes me look better. And I started thinking about physical exertion as something that made me feel better. Um, it, it completely like revolutionized me doing it. I don't really go in going, I mean, there are times where I'm like, ah, I'd be, you know, I'm starting to see a muscle. Oh, that's pretty nice. Like, Ooh, that's, you know, I'm feeling strong or looking strong. Um, but really I have to, I continually tell myself that this is about my feeling. This is about like, um, you know, my metabolism. Um, I heard this really great Jeff Bezos quote, which doesn't, I'm not really a Bezos. I'm not like a Bezos guy, but, uh, he said something along the lines of like, as I grew in the company, like at first I was in the weeds of everything, then like things start to lighten up. But when you become a CEO of a company, your job, when you're surrounded by brilliant people who know what they're doing, which I've feel that way with what I'm doing now. Um, your job is not to just micromanage them. You, you got to empower them. Your job is to be prepared for high quality decision making. So I've noticed at least over the past two or three years that most of what I hear is going to be complicated or bad news. That's just the nature of where I am because everyone else handles all the good news. But when, when it comes to me, they're struggling with a decision. So from my perspective, it can seem as if everything's going wrong because mm-hmm. all I'm dealing with is the wrong stuff. Right. So, um, so I had to kind of recognize that in my life. Um, I was just starting to get tired, just getting older, you know, just like, uh, I'm kind of a minimalist in general. I wear the same shirt every day, the same shorts. Like I really don't want to think about like what I would consider trivial things. I'll think if I go out and I'm going to see people, but in my home and when I'm working and stuff, I don't. Um, so yeah. And then, then that's really the catalyst. It's just like, I realized like when I started, I started to like the endorphins, um, and then I just started to focus on that. It's just like, and then that kind of then led to, well, <laughs> I can't lift or I can't run if I have a belly full of tater tots because it feels like garbage. <laughs> so I've got to, I've got to address that. Okay. Now I'm thinking about, okay, what about preparing to make, to like be physically uh, active? So I thought a lot about eating. And then after that, well, now I want to maximize this. So I need to take protein. I need to do this. I need to do that. So really it's like, and I think that all goes back. It's a very long winded way to say that like, even the silence communicated to me that this is a much more complex, deep thing that you really can't communicate to someone else. And then we were texting back and forth and we texted the same thing at the same time. And and that was like, it really depends on how bad you want it. If you're not working out, if you're not eating well, it's because you don't want it. Like, that's really it. Like, at some point in your life, there, there, you know, most likely will be a time where you go, I, I have to stop this. I have to, like, you know, I'm getting older. And, um, and for me, uh, that was uh, a couple years ago. And it was a bit of a breaking point. And I was just feeling old and I was feeling sluggish. And, uh, and now, uh, now I just crave it. I mean, just that habit. I just need to go in and just, like, feel strong, especially if I have a very high-pressure interview coming up. If I'm doing some sort of like public speaking, I've got to work out before it. I just need to get all that energy, all that anxiety physically out of me. And I, I never realized like how much physical exertion uh, just reduces stress. Right. Yeah, man, that's so cool. And I, I do. It's like um, 
it's hard because I remember I remember when I got that email. I was in Florida uh, and I was walking around a grocery store. <laughs> I remember reading it and just being like, "Man, that's a really hard question." Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think I think do you really want it is a good way to to frame it. I think the other thing is like for me, it's like less about what do you want to look like and more like who do you want to be. And that was the thing yeah. for me was like. I mean, I guess how I look like is a part of who I want to be, but like I had had times before I was like, oh, it'd be great to have abs and I'll like crash diet for a month. But I sort of came to the point where I was like, I want to be a healthy and active person, whatever that looks like and however long that takes. And that that's like the beginning of, for me, I remember also going like, it's going to take me at least two summers to get there. And that Mm -hmm. like those two mindset changes of like, instead of like, what can I do to look the way I want to look? Like, what do I have to do consistently to be the person who I want to be? And then like going like, that's not a overnight solve, you know, like this stuff takes time by week or a month by month. That's the other thing too, is just, it's very easy to go like, okay, you know, it's easy to do those calculations. like when you're in the shower and you're like, okay, so if I restrict my calories by this, in two months, I'll be at this, at this weight and blah. And you know, like this is, it's like so easy to get stuck on that. But, um, but for me, it's like, I always have to tell myself, like, I just need to be on the right road. Like that's it. Right. You know, I just need to be doing this three, four times a week. Um, and, uh, you know, I need to be eating relatively well, you know, kind of based off of my own rules that I've determined, uh, through time, not what other people do, but like what I've tried, what is, what I've failed, what I like, what I dislike. Um, and then also just kind of really that, that, uh, that concept of, of, um, what recovery or, um, when you slip forgiving yourself, which is, I've had a hard time with generally, but just kind of like, uh, that understanding of like forgiving yourself. Okay. I had a, you know, I binged or something and some ice cream or whatnot forgiven back on it or same thing with working out. Like I got sick or someone's sick or I went out of town. I just couldn't make it to the gym and I was out for a week. Okay. Well now you're back forgive yourself, move on. Right. So forgiving myself, I think that also, so I guess the, uh, that, that's another overarching thing. It's like, it was the best thing I've done for my mental health was working out, which then followed kind of like eating better. Um, and then just getting in this just synchronicity with like food, which I'm, you know, my energy and then exertion. Um, and it all kind of works together. Like if one is, if I'm eating terrible, but working out, like it, I feel off balance. If I'm eating well, but not working out, like I feel off balance. If I'm not doing either, I just feel like I'm just slowly decaying. <laughs> right. Um, but totally. Yeah, so I, I, it, mental health was also a big one for me. And I've, I've known people, um, with some CEOs or a CEO of a, a pretty decent company. And, uh, and his wife was telling me that like they, um, his doctor said like for your mental health, because of this high stress job, you need to be working out at least three, four times a week. Right. Totally. And, and that's the thing too, that it's like to all of that, to that balance idea, it's like, I think it's important to calibrate to like what feels good for you. And that's something that's like, I've had a few people even come to me and say like, what you did was intimidating. And I'm like, you don't have to do what I did. I just wanted to feel good. Mm -hmm. And like, this is where it took me. And, you know, in the same way that it's like, I think that's one of the big traps that I've found in this industry and sort of in life in general is seeing someone else do something and feel like I have to do it to that level. You know, we see, Mm -hmm. you see some Nike commercial or whatever else, or, or I just saw the thing that you guys posted on Instagram, that new Hummer EV thing. And it's like, that's sick. And because it's sick, I need to do it. And being like, 
I don't have to do that. Actually, it can be sick, and I can have nothing to do with it, and that's totally <laughs> and fine. Smoke like, and mirrors. We rebuilt well, that. What do you mean? Like, and so that's another thing. Uh, early on in my career, um, uh, I always gravitated toward toward people who are about to retire. And my wife was working at a post audio house, and um, he was probably in his sixties at the time. Uh, just really great high end post audio house uh, for for animation in Burbank. And I remember him taking me aside when he learned that I started a business, and he said. The one thing that I want you to remember, and I still do, is like this whole industry is smoke and mirrors. Mm. What we do is smoke and mirrors. We're basically like polishing something to make it seem like it's, you know, it's it's seamless. You don't you don't see the production, but it's just so perfect that like you you're kind of blinded to it. But he said, even in your business, it's smoke and mirrors. And so I've I've gotten more and more crystallized on that over time. And so how that manifested itself in that kind of Hummer EV thing is that was just a documentary with really sick footage. And we did some sound design, but it was never bold and over the top. But when I was like trying to find something to post or get to the website, um, I was like, can you just do like a like a short, compressed, maybe 30 second version of just the just sound design only and just the sickest, sickest version in like an hour, an hour or two. And the sound designer wrote back and like, well, I see where you're going with this. It'll take me four, five, six hours to do this. Um, if you think it's effective, go for it. And we were slow and I was like, let's do it. And so we, we kind of manufactured that. So we do, even on our website um, as sound designers, we do our own versions of our projects because uh, we're not selling what the agency is selling. We're not selling what, you know, the, produ- the, the production company or the post house is selling. We're selling sound design and we're right. selling emotion. And so everything is, is manufactured to a way where like we are speaking what we do and everything that someone consumes. They can assume that that's way, the way it aired. But more often than not, um, it's not. Sometimes it is, but uh, you know, most of the time it's not. Yeah. So smoke and mirrors. Well, and I appreciate you saying that because that's something that I think it's something that I've sort of been passionate about telling up and coming people coming up, uh, up and coming people. Just that it's like I, I remember even seeing all these projects people were doing and being like, "What is all this?" And then like getting to the other side of it and being like, "Oh, that's like all spec stuff that they did right. off their own dime." And like, to me, there's a fine line there of like, okay, we're in the business of like punching things up and presenting things the way we want to be seen. But I would be curious, what are your thoughts on the difference between like, okay, we're selling sound design and sort of like legitimately dishonest behavior where people are like, Oh, here's this, like, whatever, you know, I've seen people be like, we did this thanks to X client, you know, tag them on Instagram. And it's like, you did this in your backyard. Like that feels dishonest to me, you know? (laughs) I generally don't love really high end spec work that then gets a big giant multi-billion dollar company logo at the end of it for free. Like I, I, something about that makes me feel icky and it's not for, so much the creators, it's like the creators thinking they kind of need that, you know, brand to, you know, Nike to make them look cool. And I, I get it because we have all the all the sickest like brands on our site and we work with all of them. So I get it from this perspective that, you know, you kind of want to um, do that. But uh, but yeah, uh, to me, it's it's really it's really obvious when that's the case. Like you can tell what a brand, uh, you know, brands are good. Brands are called brands because they have a very solid brand. You know what they do, you know what they don't. You know, you can look at a Nike spot and know if it's, that's real. I mean, sometimes you can't in that regard because they kind of go all over the place. But like, if there's something like McDonald's, like you're going to know if it's McDonald's brand or if it's someone trying to pretend it is because they're very, very, very clear on their messaging. 
Um, so, so with that, um, you know, so the specific thing of kind of like tacking that on, I don't know. I think people would get a lot more, um, out of it if they just made it like in a piece, a piece of uh, original content. Uh, like if it's something that maybe had a message or just a simple thing, like do this, or, you know, if you're passionate about climate change, if you're passionate about like the whales, if you're passionate about something like kind of making a thing that's real stylized and beautiful, but like giving someone a feeling of action and like connecting that with an emotion, not just slapping on a Ferrari logo at the end and being like, see, we did a thing for, for Ferrari. Yeah. It's like, eh. And they're never going to like get tagged and go, wait a second. We want that. It just, it just doesn't, I've never seen that happen in my career. Yeah. Um, but what will happen is <laughs> if you make something incredible for yourself, that's also original. Um, that's not just kind of copying what you're seeing from everyone else. Uh, well, more often than not, you may get copied or you may get the job because they loved what you did here and they want a similar style, but no one's ever going to just like pluck your video out because you put a logo on it and use it for their branding. Cause there's too much nuance to the communication that they're trying to put out there. Right. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes so much sense. And that's definitely been my experience. I mean, even going back to the thing of like that Haiti thing that you would have been commenting on was like a little nonprofit thing that I did for free because they paid to send me to Haiti on a medical missions trip, you know, like, mm -hmm. and that got way more positive attention and energy for me than like any of a lot of the sort of like fake testy type stuff that we've done since then. Um, and that's sort of like, for me, I guess it's been a paradigm shift in sort of like what, maybe it's more like a mindset shift, but like, I don't really think about spec and I don't really think even about personal projects anymore. I just think about like for challenger, it's like there's client work and there's original content. Right. And yeah. those are the two buckets. People should think like that is, um, you know, the, again, with the spec thing, um, switch that over to original content. We are in a very, like our, where we are uh, in our lives, like if you're kind of like 30, maybe 32, 33 plus, maybe 30 plus, um, it, we're really ancient. Like we're <laughs> becoming ancient and we're thinking like, uh, we don't see it because we think, oh, you know, compared to 60, 70 year olds, like we're cutting edge. Um, but we have to know like where our biases lie and what we put value in. For example, um, like one of my peeves in the industry is like someone who will kind of like shut down their life for a year or two or three to make like a feature documentary um, with the sole purpose of it getting into Sundance. Um in the amount of the amount of meaningful work you could make, uh, the amount of meaningful work and the people you could you could connect with by by doing in you know two three years of making a lot of little things that are very emotional and very meaningful. Um, so you can put all of your eggs in this one hopeful basket to get to Sundance, to where you can all your friends can be like, they got into Sundance, but like most likely you're not going to get into Sundance. Uh, it's still difficult. Um, I think it's like, we think, oh, that's the benchmark. That was the benchmark two, three, four decades ago. Right. Like we, that is not where people watch stuff. No one, like it's very few, like young people are like, oh, I'm wondering what's coming out of Sundance. I mean, uh, uh, filmophiles and docuophiles, like they're into that. Um, but, but that's a small, small group. But in the, the amount of time that you can spend all, all of this, you could, you could do meaningful personal work and put it on YouTube and get hundreds millions of people real people but and so that's really where like i started to think is like do i want to talk to the industry do i want to get industry recognition do i want all these people to think i'm cool or do i want to really make a difference 
in the world and really talk to real people. So that's why in my podcast, I'm not making this for the industry. I'm not even making it for audio people. I'm making it for the world to get into this, you know? And so uh, I think that like filmmakers get stuck in this. Meanwhile, we have 22 year old YouTubers just crushing. We have 18 year old TikTokers crushing in communication because they get the point. They're trying to communicate a concept on a very high level, good, bad, indifferent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get stuck when we, when we get a camera and we learn how to color, we get stuck into this world of just like, okay, we need to make sure that's like super stylized, super sad, like super, you know, it just needs to be a feature doc or a feature film. That stuff is ancient. Like anytime I, I get an email or someone's just like, I'm going to do a feature film. I'm like, okay, who's financing it? What studio is doing it? Like, you're not going to do it with us because it's going to get pulled into Warner Brothers if it's legit. And it's just, and, and honestly, it's like most of the time, it's just a gigantic waste of time. Right. You could make a hundred four or five minute videos that actually change the world instead of just like spinning your wheels, trying, just saying that like I did a feature film. Like, yeah. and I see it and I've been in the industry long enough that a lot of these people when I was in my 20s making feature films are not doing anything in the industry except for still trying to make feature films with no money. Yeah. So, and it's in, you know, sometimes you break out. Um, but I mean, how many independent feature films even are you consuming? Like no one is consuming. You don't have the time like as you get older. Right. So like I do have 5 minutes, I do have 10 minutes. I can, you know, I do have and if I'm in the car, I do have 20 minutes for a podcast or whatnot. Uh, but I don't have time in the mountain of content that Netflix, HBO, Warner Brothers, all these studios are making in the mountain of content. I'm just not going to be plucking like super niche independent films out to spend an hour and a half, two hours watching. Right. So it's just a it's just a brutally hard business. But right. I look at it as a I want recognition by what I think people value right. in the industry. Well, and I think something. So I'd be curious your thoughts on this, because. I've definitely wrestled with that myself. And I think sort of where I'm at with it now is like the reality is all of these things are brutally hard businesses on some level. Like if you want to go make a feature film, if you want to go have like a breakout podcast, if you want to have like a sustainable YouTube channel, there's a ton of work that goes into any of these things. But I think the Mm -hmm. question to me is like, what do you what matters to you enough to climb that mountain? Cause like I care about telling stories of, you know, to what you said, like things that matter, that's a big part of sort of what we're trying to do with challenger. And that was one of the things that last year I was like, I don't really care if it's commercial branded content. I don't care if it's features. I don't care if it's all Instagram stories and TikToks. Like I don't, I just like using all the skills that I have to tell mm-hmm. stories like that. And one of the cool things for me is like, I came from a music and design background. I came from all these other things. And so like, there's actually a lot more opportunities to bring all my skills to bear in things like social than there are in like me being a commercial branded content DP. And so like going, where can I really like put my weight behind something I believe in? And if you want to go write and direct features, I think if you really, really, really love that, you should, you should just know that it's <laughs> really hard, but all this stuff's really <laughs> hard. And so that's where I'm curious, like for you with, um, with the podcast, like how did that start? Like where did, where did you decide to do that? Well, rewinding a little bit on like, if you want to direct or write feature films, you ha- you can't just do that sort of thing in a bubble. I could make a podcast in a bubble for the most part. Um, you can't direct and write major feature films by yourself, period. And you sure can't do that when you have no network. 
to do that with. So in order to get to that path, um, you can't see, it's, it's very difficult to just go from point A to point a thousand. So if someone really wants that, like I would say, get, uh, get something that gets you in the networking bubble that you're very good at. And this is where you see, you know, camera assistants turn into DPs and cinematographers. This is where you see, you know, someone on the, you know, a producer that then once starts to write, like you find your way there. And I think that the, the idea of social is like, of social media is telling us, oh, if you're not a breakout hit by 22, you're a failure. Like that is wrong completely, uh, entirely. And, and your best work is not going to be at 22 most of the, most of the time. So a lot of these things are a journey and a journey of meeting people and building people kind of up around and finding mutual, um, help and stuff. And then also being realistic with what you can do. Like, you know, like Christopher Nolan is not going to come out of, I mean, definitely has done different things, but had a network of kind of probably film school people like Steven Spielberg, all these, you know, those people had this network at USC. There was, there was, there was alchemy that made that happen, but you just can't do it in a bubble. Uh, but you need to learn like an amazing skill. And then if that's really what you want to do, then you have to realize like you got to be in this location or that location. And you have to start making a lot of um, sacrifices personally to do that. And then it gets to the point is it gets to the point of, um, do you want to sacrifice all of that? So with me, I knew I didn't want to be in point this point, this place or that place. And so I had to make different adjustments to get the outcome of my life that what I wanted, that was work-life balance. Um, so as far as the podcast, the, the whole, uh, to, to recap, at least what led to the podcast is I own a sound design studio, um, that nowadays mainly does trailers and promos and, uh, advertising. But when I started it, there was a lot more documentaries, a lot more like Discovery Channel type of shows, uh, reality shows, the occasional commercial, a lot of nonprofits. Eventually, over time, that really started to like get much more crystallized into advertising, uh, mainly because that didn't require me. You know, if I'm doing feature films, I'd love to do feature films. I'd love to be mixing like Marvel movies. But to mix, mix a Marvel movie, I've got to be working at Skywalker Sound, Skywalker Sound, just north of San Francisco. Like, period. That's not happening in Omaha um, because it, there's a big team and you have to make sacrifices. But um, I want to have a family. I have a family now. I want to be with my um, my like in laws, and I want to be with my with the aunts and uncles and cousins, and my kids have a normal life. So to do that, I focused on things that I knew I could do um, anywhere, and it took a while to get to that point, but now, now I can. Um, so uh, about five, six, seven years into the business, we were doing a lot of spec work, like what we had talked talked about before. You know, new director comes up, hey, you know, I did this thing. Um, a lot of times, real moody type of thing, and a lot of it's really good. And we have a lot. I have a lot of ability to sound design it and bring a lot of creativity to it. Uh, and then you know, I, we would I would do that on spec they'd send it out inevitably we'd the people would you know tag us and then we'd get work from somewhere based off of that spec work isn't terrible it's you know it's is depending on where you are in your career it can lead to kind of people finding out about you and i utilize that as well um but it got to a point where i felt like okay we're doing all the spec work for other creators um what if i uh, actually what i heard i read a quote that said great companies learn how to capitalize on their waste. And so I thought a lot about that. What is the waste in my service-based industry? And that is unbooked time. What can I do with unbooked time? Because um, I can't always guarantee that there's even a spec project there. And we can't just back up our sessions and computers all day long and just sit around and read about, you know, audio. That's just not valuable. 
So that's when I was like, well, why don't we make our own piece of content? Um, I thought a lot about a, a YouTube channel, um, thought a lot about the podcast. Uh, I knew I wanted to do something in sound. So eventually it gravitated to being a podcast to where I could really eliminate uh, any sort of visual crutches because it's about sound. I want it to be in sound. And so, um, so yeah, and, and invested a lot of time. It was a, during a time when the studio was slow, so there wasn't a lot of income coming in. Um, it also solved another problem because, like, when, when a studio gets very slow, what the entire team is doing is looking to you as the owner and saying, what should I be doing? What do you think? What should I be doing? Meanwhile, I'm flipping my lid just trying to get work in the, in, the, in the door to just get work in. So it's the wrong time when we're totally dead to be like pinging the owner. But that's also, if you don't have something in place to capitalize on your waste or like you, then, then that's what's going to happen. So in order to alleviate, like when I'm most stressful, like when I'm most stressed out, that's usually because there's like a financial uh, issue happening with the, with the company. That's, that's when I'm going to be like a little bit more unhinged and a little bit off and I won't be able to strategize well. So I wanted to, I wanted to fill that time when we were done with client work, everyone knew go to do the podcast. And so they were doing that while I was freaking out. And so it always felt perpetual. They always had something to do. They were always like on something. They could they could dig in creatively. They could write. They could make something of their own. They should not just doing client notes. And so it just solved a lot of these like checkboxes uh, for us. And um, and it was it was hard, but I got a few good. Uh, I was very lucky early on with a few good um, um, kind of lifts and promotions that kind of pushed that into something that um, ten episodes in I was I was down about fifty thousand dollars in personal money. And then the first advertiser reached out and then it was like, oh, okay, we can actually like start to make money. And it took probably a year, year and a half after that just to recoup that, that loss. And then now it actually like, you know, after, you know, three, four, five years, it like became something that at least breaks even with a little bit of profit for growth. Um, so it's not a lot, but it's like, it's enough to like support itself now where I don't just like freak out about it uh, yeah. by itself. Well, so it's, I was trying to solve a lot of business problems with the content and also speak to the world about something that I'm passionate about. Right. And I think that's so smart. And the one thing that I sort of wanted to, to just call out in that is to what you said earlier about um, the, the health and wellness stuff and even this original content stuff is... I feel like, I don't know about you, but it's the kind of thing that I used to always think of as like, oh, I'll, I'll do that when everything else is good. Right. It's like, once mm. I'm like, once I have like all this spare time and money, cause everything's running smoothly, then we'll like do our own stuff or we'll go make time to exercise or whatever else. And like, for me, I've had to flip that and go like, mm -hmm. I sort of need to start with that. Cause if I don't do it when things are slow, I'm never going to do it. And like, right. I need to go, okay, I wake up and, you know, run or lift or whatever, no matter what I need to, I need to downregulate all these things that are less important, like social and whatever else so that I have bandwidth for this. And then now it's like, now we have a system that stays in place and is self-sustaining where like when everything's super busy, you don't do it because you're busy. And when everything's slow, you don't do it because you're freaking out. So it's like, you just got to start mm -hmm. and set it up at some point, you know? I don't know why this analogy came in my mind, but it's like scissors. Like you just use them, use them, use them, use them, use them, no maintenance, use, 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 or a knife or something. Um, it's very easy to just like, just not sharpen them. You know, it's not, it's very easy just to fall into a trap where it's just like, okay, it's dull, but it's, it's just doing the job. It's difficult. And I didn't, we don't even realize how terrible it is. Cause like when it's dull, you don't even think about it. You're just like, oh, I just, these scissors suck. Um, but <laughs> having a sharpener and you just sharpen it and you go, oh, wow, this is like, 
this is seamless. It's just everything is butter. Like everything is much easier. I kind of think of that as like working out. It's just like I'm getting, I can burn myself constantly or I can sharpen myself. I can realize, you know, another thing with working out, and I wonder if you've noticed this too, is like, I feel like without working out and without eating well, it's very easy to forget about mortality. When you start eating well and working out, all of these little things about your body that you just have been masking with food or laziness, uh, all just comes right to the surface. So for me, I actually noticed like, like going into it, I felt like, I felt like my health, mental health was pretty good. But when you start depriving yourself and you start getting down to a, to a very like, you know, you're, you're using your body and nothing only there isn't, I can't cheat with my mind. I'm savvy, you know, and that's how I built a business. That's how I, 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 I you know, I calculated and I thought, well, put myself here, fly here, meet this person, do this, da, 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 da. With your body, you, you can't do it. I mean, you can, you have to get past psyching yourself out and you have to get past that mental burden. But at the end of the day, you got to move and you got to lift and you got to hurt yourself. Uh, I mean, hurt yourself in the sense of like resistance and um, being exhausted uh, yeah. while you're doing it. And so I, what happened was I, I saw that my mental health got worse when I started to do that. And then that was a rebuilding. And that took, you know, and it, I'm still in progress with that. I've been working out consistently for about 14, 15 months. But I, but it just reveals so much about what you were masking underneath all of that. And so, you know, that, and then like the real, for me, like the real journey toward even start healing was just get rid of all the vices that I'm using to, to cover it up with. And that was food and that was laziness for me. Yeah, no, totally, man. And I, I totally feel that I, the one thing I just wanted to throw into that, which was, it was sort of a light bulb moment I had yesterday. Um, I'm working with this guy, Ben Skutnik, who's helping me. I had like a, I was in a bike crash back in September during a race and was having some like hip pain after that. And, uh, it put me in a little bit of a spiral for a while. Cause I talked to a friend who was like, Oh, you might've torn your labrum and you might need like hip surgery. And I was like, uh, I'm not ready for that. And so mm-hmm. I just sort of got gingerly about it, but, um, finally decided to get help and, and wade into it. And it's been really good already. But Ben said something that I thought was really wise, which is he was like, there's a big difference between discomfort and pain. And a lot of what I'm going to have you do is uncomfortable. It should not be painful. And if you're experiencing pain, I need you to let me know. But those are different. And unfortunately, we tend to talk about them the same mm-hmm. way. And I feel like that's something that for me in my journey was like, I had to learn to be uncomfortable. And so like you could say it hurt or whatever else, but it was like, okay, I don't have a dopamine hit from my phone right now. I don't have a drink at the end of the day. I don't have that Taco Bell and it's okay. I can be uncomfortable. I'm not dying. (laughs) Everything's fine. I've just got to be okay being uncomfortable. Um, And then actually wade into sorting out some of this real pain in my my past that's part of what causes me to be so afraid of being uncomfortable now you know right i've never heard that i love that the difference between discomfort and pain like discomfort is perfectly fine you're safe right pain is not good um that reminds me of kind of something terry cruz said i i found a video uh that of terry cruz just kind of talking about motivation and he was talking a lot about like habit building and he put it in a way that I'd never really thought about it. I think we all kind of know it's like if you kind of force yourself into a habit, you will eventually just kind of fall into it. But he was talking about like the front and the back of your brain. Um, he was talking about your conscious, like the brain that you actually make decisions with versus the unconscious part of your brain that just that just regulates you. You know, you breathe, your heart, your habits, you know, things like that just drives you that you're not thinking about. And he was talking about like when you um, when you start a new habit 
that part of your unconscious brain is uncomfortable. Like it is uncomfortable because it is trying to tell you, no, 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 this is what we do. We eat, we eat ice cream every night. Uh, you know, this is what we do. So what are you doing right now? This is what we do. Or, you know, drinking or, um, you know, getting out of the habit of working out or getting out of the habit of like just, um, you know, going on a walk or getting up in the morning. That's a great one. Um, you know, stuff like that. He was just like, no matter what, <laughs> you, you have to recognize that like your like primal brain is going to fall into a routine and it wants to stick there. And so it will always be two, three, four days of being uncomfortable and forcing that to when that fifth day comes along, you, you don't think about it anymore. And then I can go long periods of time. That's what's really shocking is like when I start to fall into like b- bad eating, it's very easy to just like continue that. If I force myself for like two days, three days to like be uncomfortable and every time I'm getting all these cravings, just be like deal with it. I can get into stretches where like I'm eating great and in a great workout for weeks and weeks and weeks, maybe even months. Um, so that's where like the forgiveness comes in. It's like immediate forgiveness, move on. It's okay. Like, and he, and he made the argument just like life is meant to be enjoyed. (laughs) A great meal is meant to be enjoyed. Like a great dessert is meant to be enjoyed, but like wasting my time eating the, eating the 37,000th Cheeto is not worth my time. Like I've had 37,000 Cheetos in my life. Like eat one, go, okay, neat. Now move on. Right. I don't need to just like pig out on Cheetos and Oreos. I've had thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of those. Uh, But but if if I find myself in a Michelin starred restaurant in New York city, like, and I'm trying to diet, throw it out the window because life's meant to be enjoyed. Like that's a moment in time. Uh, that you don't get back. And I'm not going to deprive myself in a moment that I might not ever find myself in again. So I have rules where it's just like, if someone cooks for me, I'm not dieting. I'm going to eat what they, what they, what they make. If I find myself in another, um, in a, in a really nice restaurant or a situation, uh, you know, in a, in a different area that has a very specialty food, if like I'm at Disneyland, I'm going to eat a churro. Like that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to live life. And so, so that's the thing. Or it's like, you go on a trip and you don't have to, like, I'm going to Italy soon. Like, I don't, I'm not going to try. I mean, if I can work out, that would be amazing. Like, it'd be just great just to run in the morning and like this, you know, desolate, you know, Italian town. But if I don't, I'm living, like I'm, right. I'm having life experiences. But if I'm at home and I'm in control, <laughs> like, you know, buckle up, you yeah. know, make yourself healthy. Totally. I mean, I, I'm, I think that's so smart and that's something it's hard. Uh, it's hard to, that's another thing it's hard to get into the nuance of. I posted this little a slightly melodramatic video on Instagram yesterday, but sort of about like taking a break from, from alcohol. And like my rule right now is, is similar. I think to what you're saying with food, where it's like, I, we, we got invited by a friend recently to his family every year throws this crazy St. Patrick's day party. And they like live in this firehouse and there's like a band and Irish dancing. And one of our buddies was like, Hey, have you ever had an Irish car bomb? And I was like, no. (laughs) And he was like, well, you're gonna. And I was like, perfect. And I was so glad I did. I had no problem with that. But I was like, I don't need like whiskey at home on a Tuesday night for no reason. You know, like there's a difference between is this adding to the experience or is this me sort of retreating from life right now because I've either overstressed myself. I don't know how to deal with what's going on. I need help coming down because like that's, those are the habits that have been destructive for me versus like, okay, we're out at a rap party and someone wants to have a gin and tonic. Sure. Fine. I'm not mad about that. You know? Right. And the other thing that Terry Crews has said in that same video about living life and stuff, he said, now, if you are 
an alcoholic, if this is something you struggle with, if this spirals you, do not do it. Right. Like totally. you don't need to be in a situation where like, okay, you know, this fancy cocktail, but you know that it's going to spiral you. Um, but for, for people who are not into that situation, I mean, I think for me, like it's easy still, it's easy for me to like go out after not drinking after a month or something, have a few cocktails and like really want to drink the next day. Like, yeah. Just because it's just, oh God, I'm just like, oh, that's the feeling of why I did this before. Um, but now, uh, you know, but so I, I have to just get back to that thing. It's just like, that was a moment you were living your life. You were having a good time with your wife or family or friends, uh, forgive yourself, stop move on just yeah. you have to do the hard work for a day or two um i would even say the first day like if you can make it through the first day like the next day is not as hard and then the next day is easier it's just yeah. always like that it's always that first thing so if you can forgive yourself move on um and even if you do make a stumble along the way like you can always you can't control what's already happened you can't control right now you can control right. your forgiveness and move on and forgiving yourself is a good thing to practice so true, man. Yeah. It's, it's all one day at a time. And I totally agree. It's interesting. It's like, I feel like it's almost a stigmatized thing to talk about, but I recently, um, I heard this study. It was in the context of an ultra running podcast actually. And they were talking about how high drive people have a high propensity to addictive behavior because it's a, mm -hmm. a dopamine feedback loop. And we have the ability to push through resistance to achieve dopamine, serotonin, feedback loops. That's the like definition of being high drive, that it's like, I'm gonna go start a sound design company. Not everyone cares enough to do that hard work. I'm gonna go be a freelance filmmaker. And so we also physiologically have this propensity that when we get those chemical hits, mm -hmm. it's easy to go into that. And so that's something that I tell people, like, you know, I don't, I don't identify as like an alcoholic. I identify as someone who can make an addiction out of anything that feels good for me. And if it's not me serving too, yeah. me, that's been like League of Legends until two in the morning. That's been scrolling Instagram. That's been Taco Bell, you know, crunch wraps. That's been anything can be that. And I have to sort of take a hard assessment of like, is this taking me where I want it to go? Is it serving the people around me? And if it's not, I, j I do have to be sort of a brutal with cutting it out because I don't do things halfway very well. <laughs> me neither. And I think that's another thing, too, um, in this Terry Crews video that he was talking about, just like another key aspect is like planning these things, like planning for when you live your life. It doesn't always have to be like every Saturday or every other Saturday. It's like, look at your calendar and go, I'm going on a date night with my with my wife or I'm going to be with friends that day. And maybe there's a couple days of social events or whatnot. Um you know, whether it's just food or, or drinking, like just preparing to get in there. I mean, another time too, it's just like for me on the drinking front, if I'm really trying to like cut that, because sometimes, because now it's weird because with drinking, like it used to be about, um, okay, I can chill out very fast. It's a shortcut. You could also get, I can also chill out by just like being mindful, talking to people, going on a walk. I can get there. Alcohol just does it super fast. Um, the, uh, guy, I lost my train of thought on that, but like, what was I going to talk? It was something, something important about that. Alcohol, Terry <laughs> Don't you hate it when like the whole, like, uh, oh yeah. So my train of thought was alcohol now is I'm super paranoid about my muscle synthesis aspect of it. Yeah. Cause if I'm, if I'm lifting like right now, I'm like my whole like arms and chest are just like burning. Um, and I know, oh, I'm making muscle like I don't want to, I don't want to trip that up. So half the time, and that's also why working out and, and eating well becomes a symbi, it's like a balancing act. It's like, it, it affects other things. If I'm not working out, I'm eating like garbage and there's more, there's a good chance that like, I just want to get the shortcut, have a drink, chill out, move on. Um, but when I'm working out, 
Uh, I want to eat well because I want to maximize that. I've seen results just by eating well. I've seen results by protein, by taking like a protein su supplement. I've seen results when like I'm doing a string of heavy lifting and I'm using creatine. I'm I, like, I've seen results. Um, and, and I, and all the science, like, and I, and I, when I read about this stuff, like, you know, the science with like alcohol, it's like, you don't want to do that if you're lifting super heavy, uh, you know, in the morning, or you don't really want to do that within two days. Cause there's so much muscle activity being built and that just kind of stops it all. And so, um, so now it's just like, that's why it's just like, I love working out too, because it's regulating, it's becoming a much more like logic problem. It's not about, oh, I just need to chill out. It's like, oh, but I did all this work, which is also, uh, you know, reducing my stress. If I drink, I'll have a momentary blip of feeling good. But then by the time in an hour or two, I'm going to start feeling guilty over that. And then I'm just kind of, um, I'm, I'm, sabotaging my own kind of gains that I want. Uh, so, you know what? I just won't do that. <laughs> like I'll find another thing yeah. uh, to get through that. Well, and that's where I think that's like, it's so important as you start putting these healthy systems into your life, whether that's, you know, exercising, whether that's eating well, whether that's just like creating stuff for your own sake, whether that's personally or you're distributing your own podcast or like, I've had a lot of people recently be like, man, you put out so much stuff. And I was like, honestly, it's cause I'm not like fucking off all day anymore. Like, but the, the like making stuff <laughs> or in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps me out of sitting in my own depressive thoughts, scrolling through people's stories and being jealous of their behind the scenes pictures that it's like, man, I've got like training to do. I've got stuff to make. I've got people to talk to. I just don't have time for any of that, you right. know? And like you, it's almost like this, this slow feedback loop of like going, let's get to it's not, it's not, um, it's not as like, there's a role for downtime, but like for me, I do well on high uptime and I will always create things to create uptime with. And it's like, okay, what are healthy things I can do with that uptime? And so it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go train for an hour. I'm going to go, you know, read a little bit of like a daily meditation thing. I'm going to get ready to do a podcast. And like, I've been filling my days more than I have in the past where it was like, okay, I have like two days of freelance DP work and now I have nothing to do for the next week. So I'm just going to like dink around the internet all week. And like that did all sorts of bad things, but like the, the positive things of that, the, the simple act of like, well, I put work into this and I don't want to waste it now, you know, yeah. that like you've started going, okay, I, I started this podcast that I really love and maybe it's not making me a ton of money right now, but I don't want to give up on it. So I'm not going to go sit mm -hmm. here and waste a bunch of time now, you know, like almost putting eggs in baskets that now you have to protect. Cause otherwise you don't have anything. You just sit here and like, I don't know, I just turn all necrotic and decrepit and it's a bad time. I like the trend of like YouTubers who are just pumping things out. Like there's, there's, there's a, a point where it's just too much and it's just not valuable. Yeah. But there's a lot of people, a lot of creators that I follow that are just like, they're just making stuff all the time. They're not worried about like detail on every single shot of being colored perfectly. They're not even worried about like their recording quality being perfect. They're not wor worried about like, oh, that stock photo looks like a stock, but they don't care. They're just trying to get information out and make thing and then make another thing and make another thing and make another thing. Meanwhile, we have kind of like the the like like the director feedback loop where it's just like this one thing that will come out in six months and you will just frame, you know, you will just just dig in frame by frame and every little molecule of this thing trying to make this thing perfect, which is impossible, uh, overthinking it to the max, spiraling into depression, putting all your eggs in the single content basket. Uh, meanwhile, you could have made again. That's why like the feature film idea. It's just like meanwhile, you could have made. 
50 meaningful things that actually affected people's lives in that. So what is the what is the priority? Is it actually affecting and making meaningful work to change someone's life and to give them encouragement? Or is it to spiral into I need to be perceived as some sort of like super God creator, right. director? And if you're not so, putting yeah. stuff out consistently, you don't have an audience or the algorithm algorithmic blessing to even get it in front of people half the time. I've seen yeah. so many people put all this work into their baby and you put it out and 200 people see it. And again, not that it's about numbers, but they're like, oh, it didn't go big. And it's like, because the algorithm rewards consistent, consistency. You have to put yeah. something out consistently, whether that's a podcast once a week or whatever it is for the last few years, or whether that's like, you can't just drop one thing and be like, look, here's our single 20 minute, 20,000 Hertz thing. And it's going to go right. get everywhere. You know, like you have to build on these things. Right. Yeah, it takes, you know, again, uh, that whole concept of like it takes a decade, two decades, three de decades to become an overnight success is true. Um, a lot of the shows that I thought would be the end all be all of the podcasts that I've made that's just like, this is incredible. This is like the magnum opus here. I drop it out there and there's little to no feedback. Meanwhile, I'll make something that sometimes will just be very straightforward and very clean and very easy. And it kind of came together seamlessly and the Internet explodes on it. The thing that I learned um, from Roman Mars, who's the host of 99% Invisible, who gave us this kind of lift and this gift to kind of build us uh, up with the audience was like, he was like, you have no control over, over what your audience likes. The only control you have is what you dig, what you like, and what you want to you make. Beyond that, you have no control over what, what resonates. Like you can try your best to make something resonate. At the end of the day, you don't have control. So you just got to keep, and you got to keep practicing. My early podcasts, like I thought that they were so good when I put them out. I was like, oh, this is so good. I cannot even listen to them now. I can't go back. I can't go back like 30 episodes ago and to the beginning of the, of the, the feed and not, not cringe because of what I've learned. And that's how it gets so good is like, a trial error, what resonate, what, what doesn't every time I put out a show, which now it's about 150, like super highly crafted podcasts that have taken that each take 200 to 300, uh, hours to make. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still crafting. I'm still experimenting. Uh, and that'll never stop. Even the best in the, in the world, like are still experimenting and just doing the best that they can. But I'm sure people, you know, I'm sure even like the best films in the world, like, Frank Darabont, I think is the last name. I think if, he, if I think if he went to Shawshank Redemption and looked at that, he'd go like, oh, I wish I would have changed that. Yeah. Oh, I wish I would have done that. To me, I look at it as per perfection. Um, to some people, like some people just don't. It's too depressing. So anyway, that doesn't really matter. It's like I think that like I do the podcast because it's it's discipline for me. It's it's feeding the mission of getting people in tune with this sense of hearing. Um, it means something to me. Um, at first, I thought, oh, all my clients will be listening to it. That's not true. And this is a this is an important point about making stuff um, that I really want if anybody's making something to really like think about. It's not about getting people to hear or consume your stuff. It's not about those people you want to be hearing and consuming your stuff. Like, oh, if so and so was just listening, they would understand how brilliant I am. Um, you know, say I, I work in kind of TV film advertising, so it's easy for me to go like, God, if you know this person at this agency is listening to this, like they would understand how important I am or whatever. Um, it's not about that. It's about the attractiveness of being passionate about something. So most of my clients, most of the people, most of my friends, most of my family don't listen to my podcast. There are 125,000 other people who do, but the people in my life who I wish would just come to me and like, God, I just heard your podcast. I want to talk about this, that, and the other. They don't do that. But is it not valuable because they don't listen? No, because it's attractive to be passionate for someone to know how passionate you are about something. 
They just like knowing, oh, that's the person super passionate about that. It's like getting a, a you know, like think about yourself like, a, you know, if you, uh, you know, it's like getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, what is it? You know, there, there's is the like shiny aspect of attractiveness, blah, 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 blah. But like at the end of the day, like you want somebody who's. I know I do. I want somebody who is passionate and speaks with passion about something. Like, I don't care what it is. Like, I'm not like, you know, I just think that like, if someone's super into, if I'm not into submarines and yet like my wife is just like, oh my goodness, the M class da, 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 does this. And it goes to this depth, but this one did this thing. And da, 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 da. It's like, I don't know if I'm into this, but like the passion is attractive. Like knowing that you're trying, you're making a difference is attractive. So it's not about the piece. Like when you're making a thing, it's not about the thing. It's about what that attractiveness is because of just someone who is passionate about a thing uh, is something that people just feel good about, you know? So it's like my clients, the way that my podcasts work with the, with the clients is they're not listening to it. They are just like super psyched and super supportive that I am very passionate in a thing and that it gets its own version of recognition, uh, which is awesome. And they want to cheer me on, but it doesn't mean that everyone's listening and that's perfectly fine with me. I just want to, spew my passion and just keep going. And the people that I am affecting, I'm affecting them. Uh, the people in my immediate life generally don't, um, don't talk about it. And I kind of like it that way. I don't want to be like a mini celebrity in my own like family and friend life. I want to just be my, I want to be who I am to them. So it's like, I like when somebody says like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I haven't listened to your podcast in a long time. I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like that's best for me. Cause I don't want to just talk about my podcast over dinner. I want to just talk about like, what's your kids doing? What's, you know, How's your spouse doing? Stuff like that. Yeah. That's so good, man. But they appreciate it just because of my passion. Yeah. That's great. I have a million other things that I would love to talk about, but I want to be sensitive to your time. Do you have a heart out here? Um, I do have an in and out double double coming. No, Ooh. not a double double single because I'm on a diet. That sounds good. <laughs> I'm eating car I'm I'm experimenting with carbs again and this is my like greasy thing dude I'm a, I'm a big fan of carbs i'm not I working out today too so i'm not like i was like ah, my i saw my wife was at in and out and i was like bring me a burger please so <laughs> we're talking about working out and i'm like literally on a day where i'm not working out and getting a burger so it's, it's all balance man i yeah nothing wrong with that well i uh i will wait on some of my other questions maybe there's a chance where we do this again in the future because there's a whole other series of questions on like the original content business side of things, monetization, some of the stuff you're doing that I think is really interesting. And, but like, it I'm would be a whole conversation that I think is beyond the scope of the amount of time we have left. So I can put a pin in that. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to come, come back. Do you have time for an eight question speed round? Let's do it. Yeah. Perfect. These are eight questions, some of which are easy and some of which are basically impossible to answer quickly. And so you take okay. as much time as you need, but the goal is go with your gut. All right. So if you are ready, I will start on your signal. Signal. In an increasingly silent captioned social video world, why does sound design matter? Um, in an increasingly captioned uh, world, why does food matter? Why does HVAC matter? Why does ibuprofen matter? Why does like, uh, you know, <laughs> why does going to a film matter? It's all the same thing. It matters because it makes us more human. And that is another way to uh, interact with our humanity. Uh, and just because one place doesn't have that or doesn't doesn't reward, uh, you know, algorithm algorithmically, your, you know, sound stuff doesn't mean that it's not just as valuable. It's just that that one little place is, is makes its most money by not having that. 
That's great. What is your favorite emoji? Uh, it's usually the, um, it's one of two things. It's either the, like, the, the one where the, the face is just like all teeth, like eek, yikes, like that one. And I also use the like devil horns all the time in my, uh, emails just cause I'm just like, I'm like a music person. It's kind of like just a geeky little thing to put devil horns instead of like, you know, thanks. So I, I use those two a lot. I've got to tell you a quick funny story about that. So I, do you know, there's this one. I can't really do it with my hand. The I love you the three. And then there's the devil horns. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know that there was an actual devil horns one. And so I was sending this one for a while and my wife was like, you know, that means I love you. Right. And I was like, yeah, no, it's the devil horns. And she was like, no, the thumb is like sign language. I love yeah. you. And I was like, I actually kind of like that more. So now I use it on purpose because yeah. it's like sort of rock and roll, but sort of I love you. And so I just use yeah. that one all the time. That it's, it's like this funny, uh, yeah, middle world there. So I, I agree with I you. I would on find the it horns. very endearing if I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, well, and it's funny now because then like, uh, you know, Coda won their uh, Oscar, and everyone right. was I doing not the seen like, it and I want to. I know I want to as well, but everyone was doing the the sign language clapping mm -hmm. and the sign language I love you, and I was like, now everyone's gonna know what it means. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> can you tell a story of a specific time you showed up in an inauthentic way? Oh, God. Wow. All right. That's one of those. Um, <laughs> a story about me showing up in an inauthentic way. Um, all the time. Here's why. Um, I am not who I am when I, my public persona is not who I am privately. This conversation is closer to who I am privately than what you would see most places. But when I go out, I am always inauthentic uh, in some regard because I am performing um, nowadays. I'm performing the role that needs to be done for the, for the benefit of my team and the benefit for the podcast. Um, like me, you know, going to a podcast convention and a fan coming up and going, oh my goodness, your show made this so special for me. What, and I just go, oh, it's all just smoke and mirrors and it's a business. Like that's not, and that's not what I would say, but like, I'm, I'm going, oh yeah, like I love this aspect of it. And I'm like, oh, tell me more about that. You know, your life, all this stuff. So I'm like, I'm, I, I realize I'm a more interactive version and I'm giving them something like I want to give them, I want to fill their buckets. We talk about that with my kids a lot, filling buckets, taking from buckets. So I would say inauthentic, but in the most positive way possible, I try to always recognize when I'm at a conference or when I'm in an interview or when I'm. Um, on the internet, especially like Twitter, Facebook, all the, you know, Instagram is that I am trying to build, um, the, what I am trying to create, like I'm trying to build something and I'm trying to build an idea and I'm trying to build this momentum. M what, what it is, it's very specific for me. And that's to get normal people in tune with hearing. And I try to tell myself nothing outside of that matters publicly for me. Cause that is what, that is the role that I've been, uh, given blessed with. Like that's the, that's what, what I've, and I want to, I want to cherish that role. Uh, I feel like I'm a, I'm a thought leader in this one very specific thing. So for me to come out and just start commentating on things that are outside of that lane, um, doesn't serve the mission. So I would say that when I am public, I am, I am serving the mission. If you want to, you, you could call that inauthentic, but I would call that, um, I would just call that trying to make the world a better place and filling the role that I need to, to be when I, when I need to be that, I'm, you know, it's still me. It's still my brain. It's still me talking about the things that I want to, but very, I just stay very focused, mm. uh, when I'm in those, those roles, because, uh, you know, being, I, you know, if it gets really personal, sure, I'll get a little bit more personal, but inauthentic, I would just say, I'm, I'm just trying to serve the mission, uh, when I'm out in public That's or fair. being public with myself.
that's a that's a very thoughtful and different take on that than I've gotten from everyone else. But I really appreciate that. Uh, what is your favorite TV show? Right now, it's Severance. My goodness, that thing just blew my mind. Dude, um, I need to dig into that. <laughs> that thing uh, is the most confusing. Um, difficult like right at the beginning everything is like what like the show is just like three steps ahead all the way until it just pays off um so that um i've uh, other things i've been watching a lot of is like um i watched all the british stuff i watched like downton abbey recently the gilded age um can't wait for like breaking back or um, better call saul um yeah i've been watching a lot of stuff lately i was actually going to say that like um Ways that I pull myself off my phone is putting myself in different content, but it's much more positive. Like to get myself off the phone, I will cook. I love cooking. It gets me totally zen. If to get me off my phone at night, stop the endless scroll, I'll put on a show and go like engage my brain in this and focus on it or a movie or something. That's really positive for me. So, um, so I've been watching a lot lately just to kind of put the phone away. That's awesome. What is the most common mistake you see creatives make with how they think about money? Oh, about money. Um, oof, dang. There's, I mean, you had me with like, what are the most common mistakes creators make? And then you're about, about money. Um, that the most, the most common mistake is like that money doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. Like that's, that's one of the reasons I have to go out and hustle up work and make as much money as possible because all of that money turns into opportunity because, you know, you can say money doesn't matter. And then you go on to then force that among everyone and say, you know, do this for free, do that for free. Hey, can you do me a favor? One day this might pay off, da, 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 da. Or in my regard, I've been like, I'm going to aggressively go after things that make money because what that does is that feeds the mission. It feeds the podcast. It feeds my team. I can give raises. I can bring someone on. I can create jobs. Um, you know, I can build something with money. You just can't build something without money. And so you have to be pragmatic about that aspect of it. Like, you know, if you're making a spec piece, be very specific about how, like, the strategy. I would say that people don't strategize what they're doing. They're trying to just kind of, like, impress colleagues that you're not going to get work from. Uh, so, yeah, about money is that um, that it doesn't matter, and it absolutely does matter. Mm, that's good. What is your favorite dish at your favorite restaurant? Oh, that's a hard one. I will say that, like, I'll just throw out a few things. I mean, the best food I've ever had in my life, like, um, probably the rainbow salad at Burma Superstar in San Francisco. Um, the uh, prefix menu at uh, Joel Robichon in Vegas. <laughs> um, any, almost anything Italian authentically. Well, it is all authentic, authentic in Italy. Um you know, things like gelato or pasta. Not Sbarro. Not Sbarro. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's just all over the place. I'm a humongous foodie. And so anytime I go out on a date night, I'm always trying to like very much curate exactly where we're going. And I want to go up, go to a place where they tell me exactly what I need to be eating. So in a perfect world, I want like a prefix something. I want the chef to tell me what to eat. And that's usually my most, uh, uh, most the, the most fun I have. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Could you boil 20,000 hertz into one sentence? The stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. That's great. What was your hardest learned lesson? With what? In life. Hardest learned lesson. Um, lesson, lesson, lesson. Um, eh, maybe this is the right answer. I will die someday. I am mortal. 
like so live live my life knowing that there's an end date on this yeah dude i think that's an important thing to think about I agree. It's been a huge one for me. It's funny. I, I feel weird pulling this out now, but I, I wear a uh, remember you memento die Mori? necklace all the time. Yeah. It's Isn't like the memento Mori thing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it does make such a big difference. It's like, I feel like it's one of those things that for most of my life was like a cheesy quote. And then at some point it's like, no, really like I get one shot at this. Like, what are all the decisions I'm making and what do I care about and how am I showing up today for myself mm-hmm. and the people around me? And like, when you stop running from that, at least for me and like, just own it. It's like, Oh, this changes how I show up. And I do think it's, Mm -hmm. it's been a big deal for me. Yeah. What is your biggest obstacle right now? (laughs) Audience growth on the podcast. That's the thing that I'm always thinking about because audience growth equals, uh, more advertising dollars, which equals, um, more, um, ability, more, uh, the bigger things that I want to do, um, travel uh, on location stuff. Uh, more writers because we're just we're just underwater with how much stuff we're doing. Um, operations manager, I really need to build all that stuff out. So uh, audience growth is the number one thing I think about on the podcast, and um, just collaborating uh, with these other similar podcasts to hopefully get us on them. So that's on the podcast. On the de facto sound side, I need sales help. Um, I've been doing this for twelve and a half years by myself with sales, and it's time for me to step back. And so uh, we're for the first time actually putting like a legitimate business development sales role uh, out. That's awesome. Now, personally, was there a personal aspect of that? Because it I could, could be. It's however you take it. Um, personally, uh, I would say um, crafting and creating and following through with uh, as much meaningful family time as possible. That's that's all that I'm. Uh, so I, I will rush hard and and work. Uh, it seems just the, like the older I get, the less time I have. And I have three small children and a wife and an extended family that I like hanging out with. And I don't and uh, I don't want to just work, 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 work because the reward is my family. And so um, that's uh, always trying to just create that time and just get myself out of work. That transition from work to home is just extraordinarily difficult. 